Thank you, Ogo. Um, <laughs> I don't know who she was talking about, but <laughs> honestly, I, Tammy and I will be the first to tell you we're weak and broken people. Whatever we have, it's the grace of God. There's nothing more. <sighs> if it's not for Jesus, we have nothing. And, um, you know, and we, we, we know that and we remind ourselves of that every day. And, you know, we appreciate, thank you, Olga, I appreciate the honor, but I just really just, I just want it all to reflect off of me and go to Jesus. Because he's the only one worthy. Um, I get out of bed just like all of you. I put on my pants one leg at a time. And I, I stumble and fall, and uh, by the grace of God, I get up again. And, uh, you know, David was an amazing, mighty man of God because he always knew he could fall on the grace of God. I mean, you know, David had a lot of failures in his life, but he got up and knew the mercy of God, knew the grace of God, and threw himself fully into the mercy and grace of God. And, and that's what made him a man after God's own heart. So, uh, you know, we don't live a life where we plan on falling, but listen, you know, we live a life that we lean heavily into his grace. And uh, Resurrection Sunday is all about the grace of God. It's all about the mercy of God. It's about his love for us that couldn't be stopped and he, he couldn't allow himself to be separated from us. You know, we think we love him, but he, he, he loves us so much more. And, uh, you know, when we were yet his enemies, he was still madly in love with us and willing to go to the cross. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come in the midst of our gathering this morning. We honor you, Jesus. We say, come and have your way. Come and have your way. Amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. I'm in awe of Jesus. I mean, he, he, the wisdom of God confounded everyone. No one expected his disciples, though he constantly told them, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, then it's going to come forth and bring forth much fruit. And they, they were, even though they were hearing, they were not understanding. Even though they were seeing, they were filtering things through an, a, a, a prism that they had. And I think today we're in similar circumstances. And we, we need the mind of Christ like never before. We need to throw ourselves into the mercy and grace of God and say, God, I need your heart. Uh, you know, there's so many things swirling around us. And um, the humility that Christ demonstrated in his obedience to the Father is what we all have to look to and emulate and say, God, make me just like Jesus. Because he didn't do anything of his own will. It says he only, he only did the things he saw his father doing. So he, he had an ear that tuned in to what the Lord was doing. So I want to turn to 
Mark 16, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read from the New King James. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Uh, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. And when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But he is risen. Come on. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. And he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. As he said to you, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. And they trembled and were amazed. But they said, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I mean, he's not here. He's alive. He's risen. And this is, this is the reality. This, this is the reason we have hope. Because he lives, we can live also. You know, it's this mystery. It's Christ in us, which is this hope of glory. And when we learn to live a life where we're submitted to that, where we tune our ears to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And start to live a life that just walks in obedience. Turn with me to Philippians 2. This is, this is the admonition. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. We got all of the stuff. Ogo, I appreciate your words, but I, I, I cringe. Honestly, I cringe. Tammy and I, we both cringe like, oh, my God, we don't want that. Like, I, I don't want any, re I just want to be a reflection of Jesus, and I don't want it to sound religious, but I'm just trying to be honest with you. We want our lives to reflect Christ in all that we do and, if, and, and give him all the honor and glory. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. A bondservant is, so, is someone who sells himself into the service of another. Taking the form of a bondservant, he just sold himself in the service of the Father's will and purpose, not his own. Not his own agenda. It was, God, not my will, but yours be done. And coming in the likeness of men, just like you and I. You know, sometimes we, we say, well, Jesus was God. That's why he could do all of this. But he put all of that aside and became a man like you and I. He, he didn't walk with 
any more or less power than you or I have the ability to walk if we walk in submission to the Lord. If we allow him to truly be Lord, to lead us, and, not, and we don't lead him and say, God, I'm going to do this. Would you bless it? We just say, God, where you go, I go. What you say, I say. And we, just, we walk in a submission to him. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient. This thing about obedience is working me over. I shared with you uh, last week a little bit about, you know, my wife and I were watching some YouTube videos on the, the, uh, the Welsh Revival with Evan Roberts and uh, some of the four points that he highlighted. And one was confess, you know, the first one was confess all known sin, like get it out. Get rid of any doubt and unbelief in your, in your life. But the other one was be quick to obey. You know, in, in, in James 1, it says be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. And I, I, and I kind of think it's like we need to be quick to listen and slow in our responses, our reactions. It's just... There's so much going on. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. <clears throat> but the thing about with this story with Evan Roberts that so wrecked me was there was one young woman. I shared it last week, but I think it's worth repeating. She was, with the outpouring happening, she seemed to be unaffected, and she was you know, part of his leadership team. And, and he asked her, is there anything that you've done to grieve the Holy Spirit? And he says, no, I don't think so. You know, there's no known sin in my life. I'm just, and, and she was sincere. And, and, uh, and so they kept on conversing. And she says, well, there's a few times when in the midst of our gatherings, I felt a prompting to sing a song. But because I didn't want to draw attention to myself, I, I let it go. And Evan Roberts said, that's it. It's the little subtle things. You see, it's the still small voice of the Lord that we have to step fully into when he's leading us. And often it's going to be, a, it may be a little awkward. You know, God is going to lead us to do things that aren't going to make sense to the natural mind because, you know, some months ago, I was speaking on body, soul, and spirit, and we talked about the, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. The, the, the mind that is led by the spirit, you know, to be spiritually minded is life, to be carnally minded is death. So if everything goes through the filter of the prism of just reasoning out why, it's easy often to dismiss the still small voice. But God wants us to walk in this place of humility and to step out when he's prompting us. To me, this is, this is the key. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to be yoked to the Lord. Most of us, because we don't no longer live in an agri, you know, an agri, agrarian or agricultural society, we're city dwellers. We don't have we have no clue what it, a yoke was, but a yoke was the harness put over two oxen so that they could plow together. And those yokes were heavy yokes, and you couldn't get out from under them. And some of us, we try to put a heavy yoke of religion on our lives, and you have to wear certain clothing and speak certain, and we, it's just a heavy yoke, and it becomes a legalistic. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Jesus said, put my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But here's the thing about an easy yoke and a light burden if you choose to, you can come out from under it very easily. You're not locked in. You're not locked in. You can decide to go out from under the yoke. But if you choose to stay under his yoke, if you choose to stay in lockstep with the Lord, he will lead us and guide us into things that we could not imagine. And that's my desire, is to just be yoked to the Lord and stay the course and stay with him and to be quick to obey. I really, I feel like, honestly, I felt like the Lord spoke, I feel like he spoke this Friday night when we gathered in our Encounter God service that we are a people in preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are a people in preparation for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and what a great time to, for him to say this is we come on Resurrection Sunday because the re resurrection was, was the fulfillment of everything. It's the most important day in all Christendom is that Christ rose, that he lives. But it was this period between the resurrection and Pentecost when there was going to be an outpouring. And I feel like God is saying, I want you to prepare your hearts that you would be a people being prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because I know that God wants to bring a mighty revival. He wants to bring, you know, Jesus is worthy of his full reward. He didn't suffer in vain. He suffered to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And his heart over New York City, his heart over the nation around the world, is to see that no man, that no man or woman would be lost, but all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And rather than, and, and how he's chosen to do this is to put his spirit in each of us so that you know, where the devil thought he was gaining this advantage by crucifying Christ. You know, the Bible clearly says that, you know, had the, the powers and the principalities known they would have, what was about to happen, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. 
because instead of just one Jesus in Jerusalem they were dealing with, now he would, he would live in each of us. I mean, it, it's a great mystery. Colossians 1, chapter 1, 26 and 28. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to you and I, his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present a man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. Okay, but here's the thing. If any man would come after me, he said, let him take up his cross and follow me. Okay. The gospel's free, but it costs you everything. <laughs> it's good news. It's the holy contradiction. It's free. You just got to give him everything. He doesn't want part. You know, God, I'll give you this much. No, I, he wants it all. But if we're willing to give it all, what we get in return is matchless. Is it's, it's, it's a supernatural life in communion with God. This is my desire. You, this is what you were created for. You know, you'll get bored with every other thing in life. You will. But to enter into true communion, true fellowship with the, and union with God, to walk with him and just let him unfold what he's doing and to be a, to be a co-laborer with him, to partner with him, is everything. But it comes down to this, this place of obedience. We have to be so quick to obey. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus only said what he heard his father say. He only did what he heard his father, what he only saw his father doing. He wouldn't answer questions until he heard from the Lord, until he heard from his father. And because of that, he walked in a superior wisdom. And, and I, I want to submit to you that it's Christ in you, that this is not something that is high and lofty and unattainable, but it's for those who will surrender. I mean, it's really, it's for all who will surrender and say, God, not my way, but yours. If we're willing to lay it all down, then he's willing to pour it all out on us. Come on, Jesus. He's so good. All right, let me turn back to, uh, <clears throat> I want to turn back to, to, to Mark, where we were just um, reading. Mark 14, 27 to 31, he said, then Jesus said to them, all of, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't reading from this, but when I was reading in Mark 16, he said, go to his, tell my disciples and go tell Peter. Why did he say go tell Peter? Tell my disciples and Peter. I think to understand this, we have to go back to Mark 14. In Mark 14, Verse 27, or beginning of verse 27, Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. So Peter spoke up. I love Peter. Peter gives me hope. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. So Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke even more vehemently. Oh, no, not me. Maybe everybody else. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And everybody listening to Peter says, yeah, me too, me too. Our human strength will never get us where we need to go. Our, our, our determination, our willpower will, will run out. It will ultimately fail. And yet God didn't give up on Peter. Jesus never said, Peter, how long have you been with me? You're out. <laughs> You're dismissed. Forget it. It's never going to work for you. He didn't say that. Yeah, no cancel culture here. He didn't cancel him out. He actually said, Peter, I've prayed for you. And, you know, after you're converted, strengthen your brothers. And uh, they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus went to pray, and he was in agony, it says, in the garden, because he knew what was in front of him. He said, even if, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, here's the thing, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Can we just stop there for a minute? Can this mind which was in Christ also be in us? God, this doesn't look good. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We, have to, we, we need to enter this place where we're just so submitted to the Lord that, God, not my will, but yours be done. Walking in obedience. Thank God he's not asked you to go to the cross. I mean, sometimes you feel like you've been crucified, but believe me, if you're in this room, you haven't been. But Peter was impetuous. He was full of himself. He was always, you know, he always had the bright ideas. Oh, God, it's good for us to be here with uh, Elijah and Moses, let's build tabernacles. It's like, no, shh, Peter, be quiet. This is my beloved son, came from heaven. Hear him. Peter could have, could have listened and tried to learn and said, God, strengthen me so that I don't fall into this temptation. As a matter of fact, when we were in the garden and they all fell asleep, Jesus came and said to, said to them all and said to Peter, couldn't, couldn't you stay awake and, like, pray for an hour? He said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. So we know, we know the story. Peter denied, denied the Lord. And it says, you know, in uh, verse 72 of Mark 14, it says, before the, the second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. 
before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. In Matthew 26, verse 75, it says he wept bitterly. It went right through him. He, he oh my goodness. I said I would never deny him. I de and he told me I would, and I, I was so adamant, like, never. Maybe everybody else, but not me. And so shame is just covered Peter. Peter's failing, feeling like failure. Just feeling the failure. Has anybody ever felt that? I want to tell you, Jesus is bigger than every one of your failures. He's bigger than every one of your failures. And he wants you to come to this place of surrender. See, we can't do it on our own. But when we step into the grace of God, when we step into to allowing him to lead and guide us, then it all shifts. It all shifts. It's interesting because, so it was go and tell Peter. Because Peter was feeling overwhelmed. Peter thought it's never going to be the same. But Christ is the restorer. He's the restorer. And, um, you know, in John, the Gospel of John, let's just turn there. John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in the same way, he, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. Jesus had already appeared to them once, but Peter's not really fully feeling, I think he's just still allowing the, the accusations of the enemy. You know, you, you know the voice of the enemy because he's always, an, he's an accuser. And so it's either, whenever you hear voices accusing other people of not treating you well or doing bad things or whatever, just know that's, that's the enemy. God wants you to say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he doesn't, and the enemy will say, oh, yes, they really do. And he's, no, 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 no. God, I don't know why that happened, but God, I, I trust in your mercy. You're their judge, not me. God, we're, we're to walk in, in grace and forgiveness. So, but the spirit of the accuser will accuse others to you, and it'll also work you over, saying, you failed again. You're a miserable, no good. And that's the voice of the enemy. So you have to, you have to recognize these voices and flush them because God has a plan, a redemptive purpose for your life, and it's his plan that will succeed. And so you got to flush that. But I think Peter was walking through this, and he was like, how could it ever be the same after I was so boastful and et cetera? And so Peter does what a lot of people do. They kind of go back to what they know. So Peter says to everybody, listen, I'm just going to go fishing. That was his profession, you know. Jesus said when he called them, follow me, what I will make you, fishers of men. Uh, but apparently Peter's about to give up on being a fisher of men, and he's going back to his old profession. I'm going to go fishing. 
And then the others were confused, and they, they, they're still like not getting it. And they said, all right, we're going to go with you. So they went out immediately. They got into the boat. <clears throat> when morning had come, Jesus was standing on the shore, but they didn't recognize him. Uh, and Jesus said to them, he called out to them, have, did, did you catch any fish? Do you have any food? Which was not unusual for someone on the sea because from the high point on the sea, you could see the swirl, the, the fish on one side or another. And so um, they said no. And he said, well, just cast your net on the other side because I see a, I see a swirl there and there's probably fish. So they did it. And the net's filled. So they cast the net. I'm in verse 6. Now they were unable to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, this disciple whom Jesus loved said to be, it's the Lord. How did he know it's the Lord? Because when you go back, this happened one other time. In the same situation, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he got in Peter's boat. He said, push out a little bit so I can address everybody. Peter did. Jesus turned to him and said, okay. Push out into the sea and cast out your net for a great catch. And Peter said, look, I'm a fisherman. You're a preacher. I've been out here all night. We didn't catch anything. My nets are clean. And then Peter relented and says, but nevertheless, at your word, I'll do this. And the same thing happened. His boat was swamped with fish. And John and James also, they said they, their boat came over. So now John is having sort of this, wait a minute, I've seen this before moment. <laughs> this happened. <laughs> I've been here before. And so John perceives that's Jesus on the shore. And, uh, and so Peter, I'm, I'm a little confused by this, but Peter, he puts on, it says, now when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Now, typically when I go swimming, I kind of take off my outer garment and I jump into the sea, but he puts it on. I think he was trying to cover something. I think he's still walking in that shame. So he's covering himself. And the other disciples come in the boat, but they were not <clears throat> far from land, about 200 cubits. Don't ask me how far that is. Dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals and some fish on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Now Simon Peter went to drag the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net wasn't broken. The nets were not broken. Jesus doesn't lose any who are his, right? He said, Father, as many as you have given me, I have I've, I've, I've kept them. I haven't lost any of them. I think it's John 17, maybe, or right around there. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew because knowing it was the Lord. Then Jesus took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This was the third appearance. But now he's, he wants to address Simon. He wants to address Peter. Because Peter's going through something that many of us in this room feel. Peter is feeling like a failure, and Jesus is going to have none of it because Jesus is about to use Peter 
when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter is going to preach to the multitudes and thousands upon thousands are going to be saved. But he's going to have, he, he has to help Peter get to the place where he's not looking to his own strength anymore because that's going to fail him. But he's got he's to humble himself and just say, God, I'm with you. So when, <clears throat> when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And it's interesting because he asked them, because the previous time he said, Jesus, I love you. I would die with you. I don't care if everybody runs. I wouldn't do it. You know, I'm going to stay by your side. So it was, a, it was the agape, that sacrificial love. If I have to sacrifice myself, I'll die for you. So in the original Greek, or, yeah, it's probably Greek. When he asks him, do you love me, he uses the agape. Do you love me enough to die for me? <clears throat> and he said to him, so Peter responds, and the English doesn't always catch, capture it, but he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But he says, phileo, I love you like a friend. I'm so ashamed. I went down that road. I was boastful before. I said I would die for you, and I... I failed, and I'm not going to say that again. Do you love me like, so he said, look, you know I love you like a friend. So Jesus said, well, feed my, feed my lambs. And he asked him again, Simon, do you love me enough to die for me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a friend. I was boastful before, but you know how I love you. I love you like a friend. He said, feed my lambs. So then he, he said to him, you know I love you like a friend. Tend my sheep. So he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah. And it's interesting because then Jesus changed it. Do you, do you love me like a friend? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you like a friend. And he said, feed my sheep. And then he gives them a prophetic word. Most assuredly, Peter, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go, wherever you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and another will gird you and will carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke to him, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When you were trying to do it in your own strength, Peter, you couldn't do it. But you, you do love me with all of your heart. And you will lay your life down for me. Because you've come to this place of surrender. Not, he was no longer being boastful. He was not, of course, Lord, I'll lay my life down for you. He wouldn't even say it. But God, but Jesus was putting courage into his heart and giving him a prophetic word. Maybe not the kind of prophetic word everybody would like to get. <laughs> but he gave him this word signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him now, now just follow me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
these two words of Jesus in verse 19 to Peter. Just follow me. I believe these are the same words that he's speaking to you and I today. Will you follow me? Will you lay down your own agenda? Will you lay down your comfort and convenience? Will you open your heart and just follow me? Song of Solomon, chapter 5, the beloved comes to the Shulamite. This is a picture of Christ and his church, you and I. He knocks saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. My head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I've taken, but then she responds, wait a second, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? This is, this is the journey. It's a spiritual journey in Song of Solomon. It's a growth of maturity. Are we willing, is our yes willing to be there when it gets inconvenient? It's not the way I expected. I'm, I turned out the lights. Every, I'm in bed already. I'm, should I, I've taken off my robe. I can't put it on again. I, I washed my feet. If I stepped on the floor, it'll get dirty. Then she has a change of heart and goes, but all of a sudden, and she knows the presence. My beloved put his hand on the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. Oh, the handles of the lock, she sensed his presence. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. And throughout the rest of the song is this, this wooing of the bride, of the Shulamite, to the king, which is Christ and his church with the bride. He's wooing us to have that instant obedience, not to put him off. When he comes, you know, I'm thinking of Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I said, when did we do that, Lord? when you did it to the least of these. When God's prompting us, will we be instant in our obedience? Will we say yes or will we fill our minds? And, you know, my wife and I talked about this. Sometimes there's little things that we can rationalize away why maybe that's not God. God's asking us to do something. Well, I have this reason and that reason. Maybe that I'm not hearing the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're just relying on your carnal mind. And we're, we've repented. And we'll probably keep repenting. I'm just not. But we're on a journey. Of, we want to be saying yes. We want to say yes. The Shulamite 
longed for a beloved and her journey continued to where she came to that place. We'll stand. Holy Spirit, come. We'll just close our eyes for a moment. I feel like this is a holy moment before the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. being the form of God that didn't think he'd robbery be equal with God, yet he humbled himself and took on, came in the likeness of a man and humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death. God, that we would become obedient even to the point of death. That we might be able to glorify you not in our strength, but in all that you put in us through your grace. God, I thank you for grace. I thank you, you that you didn't give up on Peter. You didn't turn away from the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, but you continued to draw her to you. And God, I thank you that you're continuing to draw us. God, that we might be a people prepared for an outpouring of your spirit. God, that we might be instruments, vessels that you could use, not full of ourselves, but full of you. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Come and do what only you can do.